This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That is Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. That doesn't connect to anything I'm going to be talking about today, but it's just awesome to get that as a reminder because today... We are getting to your questions. We are doing an AMA, Ask Me Anything. But before we get there, just wanted to give a thank you to the donors to Undaunted Life. If you're not aware, Undaunted Life is a ministry that is basically completely held together by donors. We don't get a bunch of money from you know foreign sources. We don't get a bunch of revenue from all these other different random sources. It is donors just like you. It is guys giving... 20 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month, 250 bucks a month, whatever it is, whatever they can do to help us equipment around the globe to push back darkness. So to all the donors out there, thank you very much. We do not take you for granted. But we're doing AMA today. We're doing Ask Me Anything. So how you can submit a question to me is you could just go into our direct messages on Instagram. You can leave us comments on Instagram. You can shoot us an email through our website. That's how you can get your questions to us. And just as a reminder, if you want to be part of the, I guess, mailbag or Q&A for Pastor Joby Martin, you do have to be a donor for that. So if you are one of our donors, you can send me a question and that will be added to that bag. Let's get into the first question here. A two-part question for your AMA. Do you feel the debate between Calvinism and Arminianism is strictly collegial, or is it salvific in nature? The second part is, uh, do you feel the same about the debate between Protestants and Catholics? Um, Okay, so let's go to the first one. Obviously, we've talked about uh, Calvinism and Arminianism a lot uh, on the forging table. We have a few guys, Matt and uh, Ryan, they would find themselves in the Calvinist camp, and so everyone else is not really there. We can get down with some of the parts of Tulip, but not some of the other parts. I've talked about before that limited atonement makes no sense to me in terms of my read of Scripture. There are Calvinists out there, not Ryan and not Matt, that seem to be worshiping at the altar of Calvin. And so they seem to be more a fan of Calvin than they are of Jesus in in a lot of ways. And uh, again, some of the Reformed guys and Calvinist guys can get over their skis. But when it comes to the whole Calvinism versus Arminianism thing, uh, I don't think it's salvific at all. I really don't. I think you could have... You could have put your faith in Christ for the propitiation of your sins, where he pays off your sin debt, and you could repent of your sins and believe things that are wrong theologically. So you might think Calvinism is wrong theologically, and you might be able to defend that. You might think Arminianism or any other type of way of thinking about theology, which is you know the study of God, you could think about those things and be incorrect. But at the same time, you could have put your faith in Christ for the payment of your sin debt and repented of your sins. Because according to Scripture, according to what we see in the New Testament, that's what it takes to be a Christian. And that really leads into the discussion about uh, Protestantism versus Catholicism as well, because I I think that when guys like John MacArthur, who I respect deeply, who I've talked about a lot of times on this podcast about how much I respect the man, I think when he says things like all Catholics are going to hell, it's like, bro, what are you doing? All of them? You're telling me that as a category, that if you are Catholic, if you go to a Catholic church, if you go to mass instead of a Protestant worship service, that you're definitely going to hell, that it's an apostate religion. Now, there are some massive problems with Catholicism, because again, they don't just look to the scripture for their answers. They look to the church fathers and they look to um, church tradition. And that's kind of where they get everything. And they kind of mangle it all together to get their doctrine. But 
To say that there are no Catholics that have put their faith in Christ for the propitiation of their sins and have repented from their sins, I think is absurd. It's, it's dogmatically terrible to say a thing like that. So to answer this question, and so we can move on to the next one, Calvinism versus Arminianism, Protestantism for, versus Catholicism. Yes, there are some definite things where it's like, here's a line that you can't cross. There are certain things that are binary, but it's not most of the things that people treat it as. So there are Calvinists and Armenianists that treat that as if it is a salvation issue. There are young earth and older people that treat that as if it's a salvation or salvific issue, and it's just simply not. All right, next question here. Is there a, uh, sorry, is there good in being proud? Proud is the root of all sin, but is it good to have pride in your abilities, knowing they are God-given, or is all pride bad? Humility seems to be a hard goal to achieve. So it's interesting that you asked this question because this year that's been something that I've been focusing on because as I've talked about, we had a ton of momentum coming into 2024. I mean, that interview that I did with Mike Glover really shot us to the moon. Number two in our category on Spotify, top 150 overall out of over five and a half million podcasts as of January of 2023. So, you know, a year ago, there were five and a half million, 5.5 million podcasts on Spotify. We were in the top 150. Like, that's insane right? So it'd be very easy for me to start patting myself on the back a lot and thinking, man, you really got it going on. You know, you, Hey, if you too, if you can grow a red beard and wear black V-necks like me all the time, you too can be just as successful. Like, and it, it could get that way. So I've been praying for a lot of humility because I'm getting a lot of speaking inquiries and I'm getting it from people that frankly don't have the means or really the the plan to to bring in a national speaker like me to come and speak at their thing. I'm getting invitations to go on other people's podcasts. And I'm even having people that are like, Hey, I haven't launched my podcast yet, but I think I'm going to launch it in February. So it's like, well, you think you're going to do it? Are you going to actually do it? Um, And I want you to be my first guest. And so it's like, in my head, it's like, okay, so you want me to give you an hour of my time that I can't get back so that I can give my message to your non-existent audience? I mean, that's kind of hard for me to, to kind of work through, but I'm trying to you know, work through that, uh, that continuum of humility to pride. But to get back to the question, um, I can see an argument for how pride is the root of all sin, but to say that, I, I just think it's, it's our broken sin nature that leads to pride, which is one of the sins. I don't know that it's the root of all sins, but you might be able to defend that. But I think you're thinking about it categorically a little bit differently. Because I think you should have pride in your abilities because they are God-given. I think that's a great point. So if you are tall and long and lean and athletic and you can jump and you have good touch and you become a professional basketball player, well, you didn't tall yourself. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you didn't just sit in a room and concentrate really hard until you became six foot ten. Like you didn't do that. God gave that to you as a gift. Now, there are people that are tall that suck at sports. So their gift is just, Hey, at a concert, you're never going to have an obstructed view. (laughs) You know, that's going to be their thing, but your, your skills and abilities, especially the immutable things about you that you can't change. Yeah. I think it's okay to have pride in that, but to not act in a prideful way. I think, I think you should be proud of the way that you were made. Like when people are like, you know, there's this whole, I don't see color debate going on where like, if you tell someone, Hey, I don't see color. You'll have people say, Oh, that's great. That's so progressive of you. And then another person right next to him might say, Oh, are you not seeing my, my skin color? And you're not really understanding the plight I've had living in this country. But here's the thing that I would tell people, whatever you look like, So whatever your natural look is, your natural height, your natural hair color, natural eye color, natural skin tone, natural, all those things, those are a gift from God. 
Because if we all looked the exact same, it'd be pretty boring. I'm going to be real honest with you. They wouldn't be that interesting to live in a world like that. And so it's like, no, you shouldn't have white pride or black pride or green-eyed people pride or blonde hair pride. I don't think that that's the thing. But just know that the things that God gave you were given to you for a reason, and you should be proud of that. Don't act pridefully. Don't act as if you are better than others. But sure, be pride. Be proud. All right, next question here. If attacked by squirrels, how many could you kill before they overtake you? So I remember when I got this question, like, I just remember laughing and being like, God, my audience is just like absolutely ridiculous. But then I've been obsessed with this question. I've been like thinking through that scenario in my head a bunch because I've never had like a hands-on interaction with a squirrel, right? So I got to take a lot of assumptions here. So I'm assuming it's not just one squirrel that I have to take care of. And then a minute later, another squirrel. I'm assuming the, the person that asked this question, I'm, I'm, you know, taking some license here. I'm assuming that person thinks it's like a whole bunch of squirrels attacking me at the same time. Now, squirrels are small. They've got sharpish teeth or they can use them sharply. They don't weigh very much. They're not very big. So I don't know, man. I feel like if a bunch of them attacked me all at the same time, that they could get me maybe before I kill any of them. Because just think about it. It's like I go, go back to like, what is it? The, the movie, The Mummy back in the day where all those beetles crawled on that guy all at once. It's like it, you can't like take care of one of them at a time because you're, you're dealing with all of them. So um, maybe I'm breaking this question down like way too scientifically here, but I'm really thinking through the scenario like what if I find myself in a post, post-apocalyptic squirrel world where I have to defend myself or defend my family? How many of I can take out? So I'm going to say I could take out at least 50 before they overtake me. Is that too many? Is that too few? I gotta be honest. I, I, I've never seen a squirrel attack anybody. So I'm just going to stick with 50 or put the over under at 50 and a half. And so I'll be taking bets. You can put them uh, in our donation page on our website. <laughs> How about that? All right. Next question here. I recently found your podcast and have been listening to it almost daily. I'm a 19 year old who has recently been struggling on knowing what career path to take. I know that any decisions that I make will ultimately affect the rest of my life. And I do not want to make the wrong one. I was just wondering if you could speak to this on your podcast or have any resources that you could recommend. So some of you probably smiled or maybe giggled a little bit during this question because it's coming from a 19 year old. And so I don't want to be dismissive because I actually did respond to this guy, but to any of you other youngins listening to this. I know there's some teenagers listening to this. We're so thankful for you. This is the age where you can make some mistakes. Now, I don't mean criminal mistakes because one criminal mistake may, may pretty much end your life. It'll certainly end your freedom. But when it comes to your profession, when it comes to your career, make a bunch of mistakes at this age. What you don't want to do is make a bunch of mistakes at like in your 40s or 50s. So I'm not like super proud of this. It's just the way the cookie crumbled. But again, I graduated top of my class in my undergrad and top of my class in my graduate degree. But in the first 10 years of my career, I, I counted them up the other day. In the first 10 years of my career, I had 11 different jobs. Everything from selling insurance to mowing lawns to selling coupon books door to door, which was awful. And I just had a, a bunch of random jobs here and there, some part-time, some full-time. And it's just kind of the way the, the cookie crumbled for me. And now I'm doing this and this is where I feel like I'm most over the X. And so one thing that I did, especially in my financial planning days, I would see people in their late fifties, mid to late fifties, and they were like switching jobs again. 
and I would talk to them about their, their lives and their career. And that's just been their entire life. They did a job for two or three years. Oh, this isn't really serving my needs. They would go to do the next job and then they'd go to do the next job. And they built this career where they never actually got ahead because they kept hitting the reset button. They thought they were making lateral moves, but actually they were just starting back over from the bottom. And so you just don't want to be that person. So I think it is a very good idea for you to think through, okay, what are my skill sets? What are the things that I'm naturally good at? What are the things that I like to do? What, what am I passionate about? And where do all those things overlap? Because there are people that are very passionate about singing that can't sing. They weren't gifted with a beautiful singing voice. And so it doesn't matter how hard they work at it, they will not become a successful singer. That's just not going to be in the cards for them. And then there are people that have a particular skill set. Maybe they're good with numbers, but they're not passionate about it. Like the thought of waking up and staring at spreadsheets all day for, you know, 10 hours a day for the rest of their lives until they retire doesn't really sound appealing to them. So they probably shouldn't go towards that. But for all of us, there is God's given mandate for us to have a particular level of dominion over a particular sphere of creation. So whether you're working in a factory or you're a farmer or you're a counselor or you're a teacher or you're a fireman or a CEO, you have skill sets that God has put in you already that he will help you get better at if you go towards that direction. And so to the 19-year-old here or to anybody else that's listening to this that's kind of in that, just understand that you you could get a degree in something that you never use and it not be that big of a deal. Most of the most successful people that I know, guys, that have college degrees, their degree has nothing at all to do with what they ended up doing. Now, some of them do. Like, they, they got, went to school and they got their CPA, and now they're uh, a CPA. They're like a, you know, they're a certified public accountant. Great. They needed to do that. Some of them are lawyers. They needed to go to undergrad, and then they needed to go to law school and pass the bar, and now they're an attorney. But for a lot of people like me, I got a communication degree. So you could say, well, you're communicating right now. But yeah, mine was in corporate communication. That's certainly not what I'm doing. Some people are getting a degree in history and then they're going and working in sales or they're getting a degree in, uh, in sales and going and working in, in uh, you know, corporate advancement. I mean, there's all these different things that you could do. Just don't put too much pressure on yourself right now. Like you're 19 years old. I'm assuming you're not married and I'm assuming that you don't have kids. And so you can make some dumb mistakes. Don't be dumb with your money. Make sure you save your money. Make sure you're pointing yourself in the right direction and just make sure you find yourself over the X of where you think God needs you to be. All right, next question here. If you could bring back any dead musician, who would it be and why? This is easy and this one's going to be quick. Some of you already knew this is coming. Give me back Johnny Cash, okay? That's who I want. Actually, give me back 37-year-old Johnny Cash. So he can be the same age as me and so we can kind of work our way through the next several decades of our life. Just hearing his stories and listening to his music. He's one of the greatest artists of all time. I want him back. All right, next one here. Tobacco, alcohol, and tattoos. All things I've seen you partake in, all deemed sinful by the church I grew up in. Was my church wrong? If so, why? And how do I relearn my ingrained convictions and biases, uh, basically prejudices, against them? Okay, so here's the thing with tobacco, alcohol, and tattoos. If you don't want to have any part of any of those things because that's what you feel convicted to do, Sure, go for it. I don't care. If you want to partake in those things, sure, I don't care. So let's take them all one by one. So tobacco. Obviously, if you're smoking cigarettes, 
That is a horrifically stupid thing to do that I can't believe anybody any it does anymore. And the direct line between doing that action and cancer, which is destructive to your body, the only body that was given to you, a body that Jesus sacrificed his body for, that's a bad thing. But cigars is not the same. So some people think they're the same, but they're not. Cigarettes you inhale into your lungs before you expel the smoke back out. Cigars, you can't really do that. And so when I, back in my insurance days, I remember uh, having to ask the question about tobacco use, but it was always delineated. So if you had ever dipped, which is terrible, or smoked cigarettes, like if you had done that once in the last two years, you had to be put down on the application as a tobacco user. Once, if you smoked one cigarette in the last two years and took one dip, one snuff, one chewing tobacco, one thing, you were a tobacco user. But you could have up to 24 cigars a year to a month and not be considered a tobacco user. Why? Because it's not the same. They're not created equal. So I think you need to honor God with your body. I don't think smoking cigars is deleterious of, of your body. Then we have alcohol. So I did an entire episode. Actually, let me go. You're about to hear my incredibly loud keyboard. Um, I'm going to actually find what episode I covered alcohol on, on the show, because it was really early on. And um, okay, Christianity and alcohol, episode 57. Good grief. What was I even talking about back then? That was one of the first episodes of 2019. So episode 57, Christianity and alcohol. So go back and check that one out. I go into a big, long thing about that. There's a lot of different ways of looking at it, but no, as a category, drinking alcohol is not sinful. Drunkenness is sinful. Then, then we get into tattoos. So a lot of old school people think that tattoos are wrong. They point to things in Leviticus about marking your bodies and all that. But again, if you just look at the text without context, it's just text. And without getting into a big, long exegete of, of the, the tattoo scriptures and things like that, when it's talking about marking the body, these were pagans that were marking their bodies as a service to the pagan gods that they were serving. That's not the same as you getting a tattoo of, of Jesus or getting, you know, a tattoo of something that you think looks cool or even a tribal, if that's your thing, do people still get tribal tattoos? Pray for you if you do. But anyway, th those things in and of themselves are not bad. Now, if you get a, a vulgar tattoo or a tattoo of like a demon or something like that, or the Enneagram or something like that on your arm, then yeah, that that's a problem. You don't need to be doing that in terms of you relearning the ingrained convictions. Um, well, if you need to relearn, if you feel like maybe you were brought up and those things were, were said they were sinful as categories and you don't believe that anymore, well, then just change your mind. It's okay to change your mind. I've changed my mind on tons of things. There were things that I literally thought uh, I could not be convinced otherwise of and I was convinced otherwise. And this is one of those things. It's just a matter of conviction that if you feel that it's not good for you or it wouldn't be good for the people around you for you to get tattoos or drink alcohol or smoke. Uh, any type of tobacco product whatsoever, then don't do it. Like you don't need to have this, you know, internal consternation about it. Hey guys, real quick. If you're anything like me, you are constantly on the lookout for high quality products that are actually made here in America by American hands. The problem is that a lot of American companies have outsourced their labor overseas. So it's an American company, but it's supporting people that don't live here. So I've always wanted to partner with an American company that prioritizes America American workers, and making all of their materials here in this country. That's why I want to remind you that we are partnered with Origin. Origin is an apparel company based in Maine, and they are focused on getting as much manufacturing back to the United States as they can possibly do. 
What do they make? They make the best jujitsu geese on the planet. And these are the only jujitsu geese that are made completely in America. They also make jeans. Yes, they're stretchy and awesome. They also make amazing hunting gear. And I know you guys love your Kuyu and your Sika, but those companies use overseas labor and they don't do that to help you guys out. They do that to increase their profit margins. Origin also makes boots and work boots, and yes, that does include steel toe boots. And in the fall of last year, they launched a line of everyday clothing. Their Versa pants are their everyday pants, and they are just especially phenomenal. They also make other outdoor clothes and workout clothes, and they're launching new apparel stuff all the time. If you haven't already, you need to check them out and support a company that supports America and America's workers. Try Origin out today by going to www.originusa.com. That's originusa.com. Use the promo code UNDAUNTED to get 10% off of your order. Again, that's originusa.com. Promo code UNDAUNTED to get 10% off of your order. All right, next question here. What do you think about Nick Saban retiring? Is he the college football coaching goat? So here's the thing. I'll, I'll start with the second one at the very beginning. He's clearly the college football goat. Like in terms of coaching, like, are you, how is this even a debate? Like, in my opinion, no one is even close to Nick Saban. So I don't want to hear about Bear Bryant. Don't tell me about Barry Switzer, Tom Osborne, uh, you know, Woody Hayes, Bud Wilkinson, like, you know, Urban Meyer, like, don't give me any of these coaches. Okay. Because just in the counting stats, I think what did Bear Bryant win three, four national titles Well, Nick Saban has seven. Okay, one at LSU and then six at Alabama. But in his tenure at Alabama, I think it was there 17 years, he wins six titles. But the the crazier thing about it, because, yeah, you, you know, you had to win and he won during the college football playoff era and the BCS era. Like, that's all that's great. But I think almost every single year that he coached Alabama, the team was number one at one point during the year. That's crazy. And if you look at the last 17 years and you just look at the SEC, has there been a more dominant time period for the SEC or for any conference in the history of college football? So the ubiquity of talent now is way higher than it was when, you know, I can't remember the, there was a Minnesota, University of Minnesota head coach back in the day that I think won three or four titles back in like the 30s or 40s or something. It's like there were probably like the fastest guy in the country was probably running like a 5-4-40, right? And so the ubiquity of incredible talent now, especially coming out of states like Texas and Florida and Ohio and Pennsylvania and California, it's insane. Recruiting's insane, but the SEC is the name brand for college football. Not the Big 12, not the ACC, obviously, not the Pac-10, not the Big 10 or Pac-12 or, or Big 10. Like none of these conferences have what the SEC has. And so like around here, Everyone's excited for OU and Texas to go to the SEC. And it's like, be careful what you get excited about. Be careful what you wish for. Because OU goes from playing Oklahoma State one week and Kansas the next and Iowa State after that and Texas Tech after that. Now it's like, well, you play Bama this week, then you play Georgia, then you play LSU, then you play Mizzou. Like, it's like a murderer's row. And during that time period, Nick Saban dominated. Florida had a little flare up with uh, Tim Tebow and, and Urban Meyer, and then that went away. I'm trying to think, uh, you know, LSU uh, won a title in there. They probably had the best college football team of all time, frankly, back in 2019. I think it was 2019. So LSU had a little flare-up. You know, Georgia won a couple in a row. They should have been in the college football playoff this year. But the the most dominant in the entire conference of, you know, the most dominant conference in the country was Bama year in and year out. It's just absolutely incredible. So he's easily the college football goat in terms of coaching. 
but he's actually in that conversation for just best coach of all time, regardless of sport. So he's the best coach for college football, uh, best major league baseball manager of all time is Tony LaRusso. When it comes to the X's and O's winning world series is in, in both the AL and the NL. He's the top NBA. It's Phil Jackson, college basketball. If you're an old school guy, it's John Wooden. If you're a new school guy, it's coach K. You know, I think coach K, what he did winning, I think four championships is almost more impressive than what John Wooden did with the, you know, nine or 10 that he won because back then there wasn't the ubiquity of talent when John Wooden was winning. And when coach K was winning these titles, you just the sheer number of teams that they had to beat and the tournaments they had to win was crazy. In the NFL, you've got Vince Lombardi, you know, I don't know what you would say for the NHL or any of these other sports, but I think you have a really, really good argument considering the competition, considering the conference, considering how hard it is to recruit, to recruit players and to keep players and injuries and all these different things and staff and, you know, constantly having people in your staff get coaching jobs somewhere else, your coaching tree is super wide, but then you keep losing that talent. I think there is a tremendous conversation to say that Nick Saban is not just the college football greatest coach of all time, but the greatest coach of all time, regardless of sport anywhere. So that's my thoughts on that. All right, next question here. What are five things you'd recommend or have personally seen as successful in making a church man friendly? So I won't uh, spend a lot of time on this, but when I got this question, I just jotted down the first five things that came to mind. But if I'm looking for a church that is man friendly, one of the first things I'm looking for is expository preaching instead of TED Talks. Because TED Talks get you away from the source of truth, whereas expository preaching is literally preaching the truth. What's more manly than capital T truth? The second is make sure the volunteer opportunities prioritize men. Notice how I didn't say make sure that volunteer opportunities involve men. No, no, prioritize men. Because when the men are volunteering, the women and children will be right there behind them. Look for a church that is allowing the men to lead. A third is that psalms and hymns are sung as opposed to modern contemporary Christian music. Now, this one, again, is just kind of like a, a little bit of a preference thing for me. But when you just read, so take take the smoke machines away, uh, take the different harmonies away, take the, the instruments away or whatever, take the sound machine away. And you just read the Psalms and hymns versus reading the lyrics of contemporary Christian music. It's not even comparable. It's absurdly not comparable. So, and think about the, the voices that you hear when a contemporary Christian music song is being sung versus when a Psalm or a hymn is being sung in a church with a bunch of dudes that don't mind getting down and singing to God. So that's another one. The fourth one I would say is a church that has plans to activate their men when needed. So this is kind of attached to the second one in terms of volunteer opportunities. But a lot of churches don't have an activation plan. So I live in Oklahoma, so tornadoes are a thing. And unfortunately, we do have some violent tornadoes that destroy property and lives. And the thing is, I love seeing when churches have a shed out back that's full of chainsaws. Because in Oklahoma, when all these trees fall down and they're on houses and, you know, it's a day or two after and these people are trying to pick up what's left of their, their property and, and their possessions and things like that. You know what I love seeing? Because this happened during the last big, you know, F5 tor uh, tornado that we had here about a decade ago is I just saw dudes showing up with chainsaws. And I showed up with a chainsaw, but I was solo. I had a couple of guys with me, but, you know, it was just like uh, me and a couple of buddies. But I saw people that were coming from churches and it's five or six dudes with chainsaws and they were ready to get after it. They, they weren't being paid. They just showed up. They saw a tree 
down, you know, in a particular area, they start cutting up the tree and putting it in a pile so it's easier to get out of there. But churches that have a plan to activate their men, maybe you you live on the East Coast and hurricane season is one of those things, and you have a plan in place for the men in your church that are get it, get after it kind of dudes. So those are going to be the dudes that are going to go over to the widow's house and board up her windows for her. Or afterwards, go and make sure that she's checked on and things like that. But they have a plan in place that activates their men. So that's a fourth one. And in a fifth one, again, that's not an exhaustive list. It's just the first five I can think of, is making sure that the lead pastor or preacher isn't soft. And I mean that in a lot of different ways. Because sometimes you go to a church and it's just like, oh, that guy's just soft as tissue. He's pudgy. Uh, he's got soft hands. He's talking about the softer parts of scripture. He's not demanding anything of anybody. He's more teacher, less preacher. He's not de- demanding uh, that, you know, discipleship be a part of what's going on. He's kind of a go along to get along guy. He's a, I want to be known for what I'm for, not what I'm, I'm can, uh, not what I'm against type of a guy. And man, that's just a hard guy to follow because shepherd is leading his flock, but the flock gets to choose whether or not that they're led by them. They just get to choose that. Right. And so those are just five that I'll put off the top of my head. I'll list them again. Expository preaching instead of TED Talks, making sure the volunteer opportunities prioritize men, psalms and hymns as opposed to modern contemporary Christian music, having plans to activate your men when needed, and making sure the lead pastor or preacher isn't soft. All right, next question here. I've been listening on and off for about a year now. I say on and off because I digest a few different podcasts. One of the things I've heard you say often is that a lot of worship music is homoerotic and other such statements. I'm curious if you have suggestions for music to the contrary. I listen to a lot of the bands you do as far as metal goes, but that doesn't always hit the spot of worship for me. Do you have suggestions for worship music? If not, I would love to see you put together a starter list. Could even be across all genres. Thanks for all you do uh, to move men into Warriors for Christ and their families and to the brothers. Prayers for you and your family, as I know, uh, being a light in this dark world brings the enemy in like a moth to the flame. God bless. So thank you very much for the question and thank you for the kind words. So I've talked about this a lot. I kind of talked about it a second ago, but just to be more specific, I do have a Christian metal playlist on our uh, website. So you can just go to, I think it's undaunted.live backslash playlist. I think that's literally the, the URL. The thing with that list is not every member of every one of those bands is a Christian and not all of those bands have stayed Christian on Christian labels throughout their entire time. And so these were just bands at the time they were introduced to me. They were on Christian labels or purported to be Christians publicly. So I threw them up there on the list. But in terms of what you would consider to be normally like kind of contemporary Christian music, the only ones that I really like that are consistently good and biblical are Shane and Shane and then the altar music. And so Shane and Shane, they obviously have a huge catalog. They've covered a ton of contemporary Christian music. They've covered a ton of songs that I personally find annoying and vapid and stupid. But when you listen to their Psalms records, especially Psalms 2, which I think is the greatest Christian worship album of all time, it's like, it's so incredible and it's so just dripping in in scripture. And so most of the stuff that they write themselves, not the stuff they cover from other Christian uh, music artists, I, I tend to like. And then the altar music, that's more like kind of like bluegrass country type Christian. They're incredibly small. They're not very well known, but we need to blow them up because they're fantastic. Now on the metal side, if you're looking for bands that are like where the lyrical content is is very scriptural and where most of these people have basically stayed Christian and, and stayed outward about it. Obviously, Holy Name, that's the intro-outro music for our show right now. There's another band called Oh Sleeper. There's For Today, Convictions, Impending Doom, 
Cliffside. That's a new one I picked up last year. Bloodlines and Reformed. So Reformed is a new one. Very, very brutal music, but scripturally like... (laughs) I mean, they're called reformed for a reason. And so those are the ones that I would put out there. The reason why I wouldn't put together a huge Christian playlist across multiple genres of like legitimately Christian things is because there's constantly people that are going apostate. They're constantly people that are deconstructing and then finding themselves outside of the church and outside of the family of God and all these different things. And it would just take forever to like keep up with these, you know, sketchy, flaky artists and whether or not they're still currently uh, thinking that the gospel is a real thing uh, and really is good news or not. But anyway, those are just just a few suggestions. Hopefully that helps. All right. Next quick, not quick hitter. I'm in quick hitter mode. Next question here on the AMA. Do you have family members who disagree with your beliefs? If so, does that make family gatherings awkward? So this one's pretty easy answer because obviously I have family members that disagree with my beliefs, but in my family, I don't know how it is with your family, but we don't really get into awkward subject matters very much. Like, it's not like, okay, we sit down on Thanksgiving and we do our prayer and then it's like, all right, guys, let's talk about abortion. What are the arguments? Like, that's not really something that's ever happened. I will say that there is one family member. I won't name the family member, but they let Donald Trump break their brain. Like Donald Trump just kind of has that effect on people where he breaks their brains. But the combination of Donald Trump, the things that he would say, the things that he would tweet, the things that CNA would say about him, and then COVID, and then all the things that went along with that in January 6th and all that. Like this person basically lost their mind (laughs) when it came to all of that stuff. And they became just almost impossible to talk to in general, not, not just about politics, because this was not someone that I would seek out a political discussion with basically ever, but you know, you're going to have people like that in your life and you just, you know, do your best to to love them and honor them and respect them and just kind of move on. But yeah, it doesn't really uh, happen that much in the Thompson family tree. All right. Next question here. I'm a single dad a Marine, as well as uh, a business owner in a really toxic co-parenting situation. What should I do to instill good Christian values in my daughter as she grows up? What would you say? So, whew, uh, that's a tough one. Uh, obviously the only thing I know about you is that you're a single dad, a Marine, you run a business, you're a Christian and you're co-parenting with a woman that you deem to be toxic. So that's a lot, but still kind of leaves me with uh, some stuff that I'm not really sure of, but Taking the scenario that I'm kind of painting in my brain, um, you're not in a super unique situation, unfortunately. I know a lot of guys that married some very busted up women, just sinful, depraved, evil, like, okay, I probably shouldn't say that story, so I won't, but I'll just say that I know some stories that led to unbelievably sinister and, and, um, try to be diplomatic here. Some, some scenarios where the situation was caused by the woman being an evil, you know what? And it led to men doing things and acting out in ways that were incredibly damaging to them and to the people around them. And it's, um, it could all be drawn back to a single woman that knew that she could ruin a man's life by doing X, Y, and Z. Luckily, I'm not in that situation. Hopefully, and luckily, most of you guys aren't in a situation like that, but those situations do occur. And so it's not um, a good thing that divorce happens, uh, especially if you got divorced not for the death of your partner or sexual immorality. And so if you sinned by breaking off your marriage with your spouse, like none of that's good, but then we end up being in life, right? 
So you're you're in this situation now. You didn't want to be in this situation, but you're in this situation now. You're separated uh, from, you know, the mother of your child and the co-parenting is probably not going well. There's probably shots being taken back and forth. So here's just some advice off the top of my head. Number one, control the controllables. You can't control how she acts. You can control how you act, though. So if she yells at you, you get to choose whether or not you yell back. If she does something conniving to you through your daughter, you get to choose how you frame that when your daughter comes to talk to you about it. Because, you know, my parents got divorced and I was a bit of a ping pong ball between them. You know, my mom would threaten my father to do things. And if he didn't do them, she would threaten to, you know, up the, the child support. Or, and my dad would say things about my mother uh, to my face that I couldn't, you know, do anything about. And then I would just have to walk home with this guilt of knowing this thing that he said. And it's just, it's a really kind of toxic situation. So don't put your kid in the middle of that. Don't ever say anything bad about the mother, that that kid's mother to the kid. Because you know what the kid can do about that? Nothing. So if you're bitter and you hate your ex-wife and she's evil and she's this and she did this thing and she cheated and she stole money and she, whatever the thing is, what can the child do about that? Nothing. Now, when they become an adult and maybe they're, going down the road towards marriage or they're in a young marriage, having a sober conversation about your marriage to their mother and what that was like and some of the toxicity there. And so that it can be a learning opportunity for them so that they can avoid some of the same pitfalls that maybe you experienced. That's totally fair game, but don't bring your kid into the middle of that. In terms of instilling good Christian values, well, when they're at your house, you get to control the moral and spiritual temperature of the house. Be a spiritual thermostat, not a spiritual thermometer. So let's just say uh, your ex-wife is an atheist and she's, you know, instilling all these secular ideas into your kid, these left-wing, crazy, kooky ideas in your kid. You can't control her. You can only control you, right? And we live in a country where if you're a dad, like the, the mom basically has to be a serial killer for her to not have custody rights to the child. So suing them to get rid of their custody rights is not really like a realistic thing that happens. But the overall thing is when they're with you, disciple them, catechize them, do, do Bible study with them, do scripture memorization with them, go to church with them. Even if you don't get your kids on Sunday, like work out a way where you can take them to church. Even if your your wife is or your ex-wife is there, like find a way to be around them in a spiritual context. And so uh, again, I guess the overall thought there would be just control the things you can control. You can't control how your ex-wife is going to react. All right, next question here. My name is Dylan, a 25-year-old married dude from Nashville. I was recently ordained as a deacon in my church. Congratulations. I used to view deacons as just old men in the church who prayed over, dying, <laughs> prayed over dying people. Okay. But I've learned that's not really the case. Yeah, surprise, surprise. What advice, wisdom, or lessons would you give a brand new young deacon? Uh, so with one like this, find you one of those old men that you saw previously as just being like one of those old gray haired guys that, you know, prayed over dying people and freaking, you know, get in his inbox or show up at his house and say, Hey, can you disciple me? Like that is the best thing that you could do because dude, when I was 25 years old, that was 12 years ago. I, again, right around 25 is when your brain is fully developed. I was doing some smart things. and I was doing a lot of dumb things. I thought a lot of dumb things. I wish I had an old head that could, 
you know, help smooth out some of those rough edges that could help me learn and operate in better ways in the world. And specifically, and most importantly, within the church in a ministry context, like if that's the context you find yourself, dude, that's so valuable. Don't lean on your own understanding. Okay. So in terms of this world, find you an old head or two that can disciple you, that can help you. You know, you go to breakfast with that dude once a week or once every other week. You know, he needs to be around your family. You need to be around their family. Find you a spiritual mentor. But then also it's like, you got God's word in front of you. I know we don't really think of the Bible as God's word because if we really did, we would read it more. I mean, just think about that. Like, obviously, if you thought you had God's communication to all of humanity in your hands, wouldn't you open that up and read it more often than you do? So that's a side point. But go into the scriptures. You know the different uh, uh, things in terms of ministry and leadership within the ministry we see in Titus and in other stuff in the Pauline epistles. And look at those things. Look at the fruits of the Spirit and look at those types of things and see where am I deficient? Where do I need to get better? And again, utilize a mentor to get better. Utilize somebody that's been a deacon before. They can maybe help you avoid some pitfalls. Don't just try to lean on your 25-year-old understanding. All right, we got, uh, oh, looks like we got our last one here. So last question. Have you been able to meet one of your heroes or favorite musicians or athletes? So not necessarily a, well, wait, that's kind of weird and funny. I'm having to edit it as I'm reading it. Okay. Did they live up to the hype? Uh, with how connected you are, I assumed you've had some good and bad experiences with this. And do you have a plan for helping your boys learn how to deal with pedestal people? So I guess I would be people that put themselves on a pedestal. So, um, yeah, I've, I've got to meet uh, a lot of people throughout my career. I, again, I had that weird job back when I was 25, so I wasn't a deacon, but I worked at major league baseball and it was a content creation type job. And I literally have a list on my phone of hundreds of professional athletes all-stars, MVPs, Hall of Famers, uh, singers, actresses and actors, models, like celebrities, all kinds of people that I met and interacted with that year. And the thing that I realized pretty early on is they're just people. So we would have these, these ball players come and these are people that are making, you know, in some cases, tens of millions of dollars on their contracts. Uh, some of them hundreds of millions of dollars on their contracts. And you know what they did? Well, if it was hot outside, they'd want to come into the air conditioning. Or if it was cold outside, they wanted to come into the heat. Uh, they, they would get hungry and thirsty, so they would want to eat food. Uh, they would want to relax. And, and where we worked, there were no fans around, so they didn't have to be on. And, you know, no one could get autographs, so it was just kind of like a chill situation. So they were just people. Now, I will say, the person I was most nervous to meet when I was meeting all these, you know, famous baseball players and current players and all that is actually really funny. It's a guy named David Eckstein. So he won the MVP of the 2000 and what would that have been? 2006 World Series. Yeah. Cardinals won in 2006 and 2011. So he was the World Series MVP in 2006. And he's about this big. He's like five foot five or five foot six, played shortstop. And you could tell that guy wrung every last bit of skill that God gave him out in order to just throw the ball across the diamond. But he had some big hits. Uh, I think he had a home run or two in the World Series. And it's just like, this was a World Series champion from the Cardinals, and I, I, was, I was nervous to meet him. But he was a super nice guy, super accommodating, and it was really cool because, you know, with our job, we couldn't ask for pictures or anything like that. But I did kind of ask him, I was like, hey, would you mind if I get a picture, <laughs> a picture with David Eckstein? That would be really, really cool. But then on the flip side of that, the only douchebag I met all year, and when I say I met hundreds of these quote-unquote important people, I met hundreds of them. There was one guy that stood out as an absolute tool. And the thing about it is before he showed up, I was like, there were only two people 
doing that job that I was like, I don't want to interact with these two people. So if they come through, I need to be like sick that day. And it was Niger Morgan and Brandon Phillips. And so Brandon Phillips of the Reds, second baseman for the Reds, all-star, was going to be coming through that day. And I was like, okay, you're a professional. Just be a professional. You don't like this guy personally. And then let me back up. The reason why I don't like David uh, or uh, Brandon Phillips personally is because there was a thing. I can't remember what year it was, but he was talking trash about the Cardinals, um, you know, in the media and stuff like that. Well, there's a game in Cincy. And, uh, he's the leadoff hitter and he goes up and typically with the leadoff hitter, he would take his bat and, you know, you know, tap the, the catcher's shin guards almost as like a, Hey, let's play ball, have a good game. That type of thing. Well, he does that to Yachty or Molina and Yachty goes, don't do that. Not after what you said. And then Brandon Phillips starts John and then Yachty or Molina starts John. And then it turns into this big kerfuffle. Like there's this big fight, big brawl and the backup catcher for the Cardinals actually got kicked in the head by Johnny Cueto and it ended his career. He got such a bad concussion that he, he ended his career that all started because of Brandon Phillips. Okay. So I'm already kind of mad about that, but I'm like, Hey, I'm going to be a pro. I'm just going to interact with the guy, shoot the video and just move on with my life. But he was so rude to me because I was wearing a Cardinals Jersey and everyone, he was just kind of smiling and laughing and wearing his sunglasses inside and everyone else is laughing. And I'm like, okay, buddy. But I worked with two young ladies at the time. They were a part of my team. And so they thought, MLB thought it would be a good idea to have these young ladies uh, interact with Brandon Phillips and do like an interview with them. And so this is just kind of like, you know, these are mid-20s, late 20s young, young ladies interacting with this ball player. And so he's a jerk. He's a douche. But he's also apparently a sexual deviant. Uh, so they're asking him questions because at the time, I think he had the most followers on Twitter of any baseball player that was playing at that time. That would have been 2012. I think Nick Swisher and him were going back and forth. And so these young girls are just asking him questions. They're like, hey, you know, if we wanted to get more followers on Twitter, you know, you've obviously built this big following. Like, what advice would you give us? And this was literally his answer. He goes, show your tits. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I went to the, the people that were running the event because the girls didn't know how to react. They were incredibly embarrassed. They tried to laugh it off and shake it off, but he just thought it was funny. And he, obviously they cut that out of the final interview, but that's just the type of guy that Brandis Phillips is or was. I don't know if he is still that way. Hopefully he's not still that way, but that's how, how he was. I remember going to the staff members of Major League Baseball and I'm like, if you don't get Brandon Phillips out of this studio right now, we're going to have a major issue because he'd already been kind of been needling me all day. And then he said that, and you just don't say that to women like that. Like, are you kidding me? We're in this professional studio environment and you're going to act that way. And so of all the people that I've met to kind of get back to your question, there's really only one that like super disappointed. Well, he didn't disappoint me because I thought he was a douche before. And then he just confirmed it. But here's kind of my habit now. Because yes, I've had the tremendous opportunity of being able to meet some incredible people and interact with them one-on-one. Jordan Peterson, John Cooper, Joby Martin, um, Chad Robichaux, and Tim Kennedy, and Mike Glover, and some of these people that I've been able to do things with in person. And these are people that have, you know, tens of thousands of followers on social, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers on social. And you could really build these people up in your head as to being like, oh my gosh, they're like, they're just unattainable. And they're just like these really cool people. And what am I going to do? But they're just people, y'all. 
They have to eat. They have to go to the bathroom. They got to sleep. They got to travel for work. They got to do work. They got to make money. They got to support their family. They got they got to grow their business. They got to you know do their ministry. They got to do whatever these things are. And at the end of the day, they're just people. So one that I I didn't mention was Phil Robertson. Well, I've been interacting with Phil Robertson and Jace Robertson and Al Robertson and a lot of other members of the clan and Cy and and I've I've seen them every summer for the last three years and I'm going to go down there again this year. They're just regular people. Did they do something that was incredibly irregular? Did they build this enormous empire that started with, you know, making duck calls in a, in a trailer and then becoming like the best and biggest show on television and just the, the media appearances and the, the licensing deals and, and just all the money and all the influence. But guess what? They're just people. Phil Robertson still lives in a, the same old house that they built back in the 70s or that he bought back in the 70s. That's just right out there on the river. Like, and if you met any of these guys that are in this family, again, that, you know, for the, for all intents and purposes are loaded financially. If you met him, you would just think, oh, just a guy. Well, there's a guy that likes duck hunting. You know, you look at a guy like Phil, man, the guy's always walking around with his Bible. He's always talking about this Jesus dude. They're just regular people. So for you, I guess the corollary or the lesson would be for you is like, if you find yourself in a situation where you're. Oh my gosh, I'm about to meet my idol. I bought the VIP ticket to the Jordan Peterson show and now I'm actually going to get to meet him. It's okay to be nervous. It's okay to like, you know, make sure that you make a good impression, but they're just people at the end of the day. They do extraordinary things. They've done extraordinary things, but they're just as extraordinary as you in that they are image bearers of God, just like you are. So when you think about it in those terms, are they an image bearer of God? Do they have millions of dollars and maybe you don't? Perhaps they drive a cooler car than you. Have they, you know, released more books and sold millions of copies of records and have they done all these cool things? Yes. But they're an image bearer of God and they are a sinner in need of a savior just like you. Don't treat them any different. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at Undaunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So we've got a link to the sponsor for today's show, but also got a link to our donation page. Guys, I, can't, I say it all the time, and I'm just going to keep saying it. We cannot pull off what we pull off without donors just like you. So hop on board. The link to donate to become a donor for Undaunted Life is here in the show notes. Please hop on board. Be a part of the team. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song, Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Face Down Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.